Hey everyone, it's Jet. Welcome back to the Sustainable Culture Podcast. I hope everyone's staying warm and cozy, maybe with some hot tea and a good book. This morning in Post Falls, it was five degrees out, guys. Five. Woo! Yeah, good morning. A couple of quick reminders at the top here. You can find us anytime on our website over at sustainableculturePodcast.com. This is where you can find, you know, the latest news about episodes, live events, trash pickups, and there's a contact page that actually goes to my direct email. So you can just contact me through there. You can also place an order for a snazzy sticker so you can rep the show on your stuff. Just three bucks each and all proceeds go to trash cleanup events. Okay, so look for SC podcast or hit the link on the website to get there. Now, last time we had a little tea time with Jenny Hegstead and spoke about Emerge and the thriving art community building there. And it was a delightful conversation. Definitely recommend to listen. Today, our guest is a nutritionist trained in integrative and functional nutrition. She's an instructor of health and nutrition at the great Northern University, the brilliant Carmen Gregg. You might remember when we first spoke about women's health nearly two years ago. So I'm excited to finally continue exploring this topic, especially with someone who's excited about what she does to the level that Carmen is. Carmen's been in the field for over seven years. She has a ton of education, including the PhD she's currently working on. The work she does at the Metabolic Institute absolutely changes the game when compared to traditional medicine. Consultations with her last a long time, and they seem to bridge the gap between physical and emotional health on a regular basis. It's amazing to me how we forget just how nurturing the act of preparing and eating food for yourself is, how self-caring that truly is. Food is truly connected to so much more than we realize in our busy, plugged-in lives. And when we have the right help understanding how to repair our relationship with what we eat, we can change everything about our health, how we see ourselves, and every other aspect of life. So let's get started with continuing our discussion on women's health with Carmen Gregg. Today is episode 24, Connecting Nutrition to Emotion. Carmen, I'm super stoked to have you here. I know we've talked about talking, uh, we've talked about talking about this stuff for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so thank you very much for coming over and for donating your time, if you will, for Absolutely. for a, a wonderful cause, learning more about women's health and everything related to it. Not everything, but almost at the bar too high. For well, me, yeah, well, microcosm, microcosm yeah. with it. <laughs> you know, we just like have a broad women's health. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll narrow it, narrow it. Now what... What I love, now first off, 
obviously with your background in nutrition, we're going to be talking a whole bunch more from the perspective of nutrition today. Mm -hmm. So what I really love, knowing as little as I do about the field of nutrition is how I see it kind of relying on A, how all of the pieces of your body affect Mm -hmm. the whole, Mm -hmm. the individual pieces. There's this really need to like connect all of those pieces. And B, how this one piece once like let's say if identification of symptoms and stuff like that how this one piece is affected by the rest of the body yeah both individually and collectively yeah that's a definite distinct difference from what i've witnessed from say traditional western medicine and i'll let you talk more about, we're going to talk more about that in a minute but so i'm wondering is what kind of experiences in your life attracted you to such an integrative field and what have you had to learn about yourself to continue on this path so far well, I think it's best to define integrative. So a lot of times, ah, good point. Yeah. Why, I lo- <laughs> why I love the word integrative, and when we talk about integrative medicine or integrative nutrition, is we have like these two camps, right? So we have this like naturopathic, holistic kind of like centered over here, and then we have what we call conventional or traditional or also called allopathic medicine over here. And a lot of times they don't play nice with Mm. each other or they feel like okay you either have to be fully holistic or you have to be like totally conventional integrative is the marrying of both worlds yes and so it's bringing together like for me in my mind i'm always thinking of like okay if i'm working with a patient how can i blend these two different worlds with to create the best care for that patient Hmm. like outside of like what do we think that's going to fit with their lifestyle that's going to be financially obtainable like that they can be able to facilitate and make it literally sustainable in their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so integrative is blending both the worlds to create the most advantageous care plan for for the patient. So with integrative nutrition, I feel like it's blending traditional, what we call dietetics or dietitians that everybody has this vision of people like dietitians coming into a hospital room and then like either working with a feeding tube or like prescribing certain like calories and like grams of fat or different things and then we have these other nutritionists on the other side that are really looking at like from like a culinary perspective or whole foods and how do we use like food as medicine over here and i kind of blend both i would say so like nutrition can be really therapeutic I also think we can make it really quantitative in a cool way for certain conditions um, and blend them. And I was interested in it because I was trained very conventionally as a dietitian. Didn't super resonate with me all the way. Hmm. And then I didn't necessarily like resonate with more of the like just, okay, we use food as medicine and nutrition as the answer to everything. Even though that's my specialty, that's what I've done all my education in, I definitely understand that there's it's the foundation but it has its own limitations like we can't cure everything with nutrition Mm. um and so but for me i felt like for my own personal health journey i conventional stuff didn't always give me the best answers so i looked outside and looked at my own health from an integrative perspective and then i was like this is actually really cool i like this my personality also is someone who challenges the status quo so i'm like if this isn't the best like how can we make it better which is sometimes at my own deficit (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm always pushing the limits and i thought you know one pill one problem doesn't resonate with me like that doesn't work where i could see like one nutrient deficiency like tons of problems yeah in the body or like hey if we correct this nutritional imbalance or we correct this you know 
whatever deficit or someone had a protein deficiency, like they would get like way better. Yeah. And so, um, so I was like, well, this seems really cool. And I didn't feel like I had the educational backing behind my, I have um, two different bachelors from University of Idaho in nutrition Hmm. and dietetics and sociology. And I felt like I didn't have that integrative education behind me. And so I went on to graduate school and found a more integrative-based program. And my PhD is integrative-based as well. And so I felt like Hmm. now through education and through patient care, um, and I've only ever worked in functional and integrative medicine in my career. And so I've had lots of really amazing mentors that have kind of built it mm-hmm. in where it's like, this is how you use all the tools to make someone well. Because yeah. people are not compartmentalized as allopathic medicine makes them. Like, oh, there's an issue with your yeah. kidneys. You allopathic. Just... There's the word. Yeah. Allopathic. Yeah. That's that's the word. I, I, I had heard that before and uh-huh. could not find it. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Allopathic, <laughs> conventional, traditional medicine, kind of all the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, how do we how do we put them together to make the best possible outcome? And I think that's personally, from my own perspective, the future of medicine is building it all together. And yeah. and the reason why I love nutrition and why that's kind of repelled me in that whole trajectory is like everybody's an eater, and like <laughs> and so like it is something that it's not like another aspect of like okay so you know you're a smoker you quit smoking like eating you have to find like a synergy with food you do yep you can't just be like i'm never gonna eat again like you have to figure out how to work with it Mm -hmm. and not against it and um i love people and i love food and so i felt like i was like i get to work with people and i get to teach people how to eat yeah and and work with it whether it be therapeutically or for the for the rest of their lives, like that's a way that they can be collaborative with their healthcare. It's the only modality that I feel that it calls the patient to action. Hmm. And you get to work with them and it's kind of like an ongoing joke in my career that like more people cry in Carmen's office than like anywhere else. (laughs) Um, And it's because when you talk about food, you talk about everything. You ha- like, kind of have to. You yeah. kind of have to. Yeah. Hence, hence integrative. Hence yeah. integrative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when you talk about food, it brings up like, you know, childhood traumas. Like maybe their mom put them on a diet at 12 or their husband made a really unhelpful comment about their body or, you know, so there's, there's more to being an eater than just eating. And it, it tells a lot about someone. Um, on how they're either respecting their body or harming their body or mm. what they're putting in or how much thought they're putting into it. it I just think it's it's the coolest field of medicine, personally. Mm. Um, and that's kind of why I went into it and, and have continued on it. I was one of those rare people that I started with nutrition, like freshman year of college, and I have continued that all the way through my doctorate, never changed majors. That's awesome. And so, yeah. Well, every time I talk to you about it, you're stoked about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, it, Still. it, it shows. Still. Yeah. It's, it's so Still. cool. Yeah. Now, last time we discussed women's health here on this show, at least, we kind of came from, we, we spoke more from the perspective of what's missing from healthcare, kind of mm-hmm. in general, specifically from the perspective of the chiropractic world. And I suppose even hype more specifically from the holistic chiropractic world, if that's even descriptive enough. I'm not sure if that quite matters. Yeah. So, (laughs) so 
we came from that perspective. We addressed a few, a few of those shortfalls. Mm. Um, that was kind of mostly from the perspective we came from. And we, <laughs> we struggled to, I know you've listened to that one. Mm-hmm. We, we really struggled to, we, we, well, I think we did a pretty good job. But we tried to stay on a very specific topic. Mm-hmm. And so it was a limited perspective that we got to explore. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, what are some of the fundamental ways a nutritionist approaches women's health that's different from allopathic uh, medical practice? Yeah. Have you found any particularly helpful crossovers with any sort of alternative or holistic practices, such as, for example, chiropractics? Well, I think, number one, one of the things that allopathic medicine does as a disservice to women's health, like for if, I don't know if you, how much you looked at this like historically, but most of the research that's done in medicine has been with male participants. Mm -hmm. So um, as a researcher myself, as someone that does research within women's health, I'm really passionate about helping there be more representation um, with women participants in research because Mm -hmm. what's happening is out of those research studies within allopathic medicine, they created what's called the standard of care. So you go in for this condition, this is the prescription, whether that be lifestyle or actually prescription-based, like medication-based, you get regardless of gender. Um, And so in women's bodies, it's like male bodies are pretty straightforward, which is like (laughs) great because we have enough complexity that you guys are always just trying to keep up with us. Um, And so with with women's bodies, like allopathic medicine, number one, created a standard of care that was like not gender specific. So we weren't getting specific uh, recommendations that were based for our bodies. And then secondarily within that, a lot of women's health concerns, whether it be around the menstrual cycle, prenatal, fertility, anything like that, for the longest time we were, number one, kind of suppressed, I would say, in a certain way. We weren't taken seriously. Yeah. Um, we were told about our own bodies instead of listened to about our own bodies. Um, we were distilled down to our body, like as a shell. Yeah. And so, um, and then broken into pieces, like, okay, go see your OBGYN for this, and then go see your your GP for this. And, and so it was like, okay, we just didn't get accurate representation. So up until as of lately, where there's been more of this shift, I think a little bit with the feminist movement hmm. of getting more representation, whether it be in the research or more female specific care it's improved but that's kind of where allopathic medicine is like distilled us to like you get exactly the same thing as men you work the same way as men we're going to give you the same types of recommendations and then also like what you're telling us about your body it is not correct we're going to tell you what we think of that like yeah so like PMS for the longest time was like they they like nicknamed it like psychosis like women were just like crazy for one week out of the month you know right, right. different things so um, not allowed to really sit like discuss what's actually happening yeah or anything <laughs> right. like that it's just no 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 this is how it is like this, this is, is how, how it is. this is how yep. you are being this is how you're behaving this is what you need yep yep <laughs> and so uh, one of the things that I take as a nutritional perspective is that nutrition I get to have really genuine and authentic conversations about women and their bodies and their experience. So Mm. like when a patient first comes to me and I mostly work with women, my research and my PhD is all within prenatal. So I work with mostly 
like either people trying to get pregnant or they are pregnant or they're postpartum or some spectrum on there. All entailed. All yeah. entailed. Um, and so typically they're coming to me. They're very what I would call disembodied. So they're not comfortable in their own body. They're not connected to it at all. So we start first with a conversation of like, like tell me about your experience in your body because you know your body better than anybody ever will. And that's and usually that's when they're like, what? That's when the I was just gonna yeah, say yeah they start crying. That's when the emotional times. Uh, the emotional times. And so when you open, when you create, I call it like your safe container for your patients to be like, why don't you tell me mm. what's happened in your body and how you've experienced your body and what's going on. Because typically they filled out, um, at least at the Metabolic Institute, like our new patient paperwork is probably like 30 pages, like online long. So I've, I've looked through all of it. I've took a bunch of notes. I know quantitatively hmm. who they are, but I'm like, who, who are you with this information and tell like who created, like what, yeah. what are you bringing to this? And well, so what, what strikes me from what you're saying, if I can interject is just yeah. you're when there's something that happens when someone has to say out loud who they are as opposed to right. just on a paper because yeah, there's a real therapy moment happening. I mean, it's a, yes. it's a very emotional, very yeah. real, yeah. Uh, very real experience, very heavy sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a lot of times the first time ever in their life a healthcare provider has allowed them to space to be like, oh, you're not just, for example, like I did my master's thesis on Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid condition. Hmm. Like I could look at you and be like, okay, Jet, you have Hashimoto's, but it's like, who's Jet with Hashimoto's? Like tell me that experience, like what led up to that point? Because as someone that does integrated medicine, I'm looking at you from a whole, like the solution is coming from the problem. And so you're trying to see it all in, like a lot of times it's like, oh, I had this traumatic event and then I got diagnosed with this disease. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, blah, 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 blah happened. Well, nutrition is part of that, but let's go back to this over here. So it sounds like there was a big stressor that happened that then affected your hormones that then told your thyroid like, oh, let's, let's attack itself, yeah. you know? And so you're kind of looking at it from a whole perspective of a timeline to try and let them like, tell me your story within these conditions. Oh. And so when you say the timeline, it's yeah. just that, uh, it just makes me think of the things that can happen in, a, in the amount of time, you know? Like, oh yeah. You have yeah. to talk about it. Like it, it's enough to talk about one life experience, but that is kind of a, a mm -hmm. kind of, I say forcing, but it's, it's, you kind of have to, talk about a lot of life experiences <laughs> yeah yeah and so we do a lot of and it's so cute because that my patients i just love i literally love them and they're just like i'm so sorry i talked this whole time i was like i'm i'm getting it all like yeah, as i'm like that's the point yeah, yeah like i'm taking a bunch of notes i am actually getting like i'm facilitating the dialogue enough that i get all the medical history yeah through there it's just them being able to say it in their own words them being able to have a platform and then someone compassionately listening to them like they matter as as a person not just as a patient or as right. like a number and then um within that i think it's really fascinating because then they like they finish and then part of the integrated process with nutrition is i'm like your body like they've always been told either your body's wrong or they've viewed their body as wrong yeah um which the closest modality to body is nutrition because as women we look at like the food that we put in our mouth mm -hmm. can manipulate how we look on the or outside not. or not 
yeah. or not, or manipulate it in the ne- like negative sense or right. or positive, you know, with all of this. Yeah, depending yeah. body image. However stuff, you want to approach. That, however yeah. you want to approach it, <laughs> and so they'll finish, and then I'm like, yeah. regardless of your experience with your body and you might see yourself like oh my gosh a lot of words that I've said in a generalized theme at the end of that is just like I'm a mess my body's a mess Mm -hmm. and I'm like you know what from a from someone who loves biochemistry like our body is always going towards homeostasis so it's always going towards like how do we get back to balance like on a cellular level like everything and so I'm like when you know that concrete like biochemical reaction you know that your body's for you Hmm. and so like how it's coming across symptomatically right now is it going towards health and i don't think that in in allopathic medicine because they're distilling you to a part Mm -hmm. you are broken to them and so in in my mind i'm over here like you, you if your body's always for you you can trust like one of my favorite nutritionists, um, Jessica Flanagan, she's out of San Francisco. She has this motto that she would tell her patients that it's like, I trust my body, I trust my life. And so sometimes, um, like that she really believes, and this is Chinese medicine, is disease is your greatest teacher. Oh, and wow. so um, yeah. and so when I tell my patients, I'm like, okay, it's I know it's looking a little bleak right now. The good thing is, is once we start working on the foundations, literally eating (laughs) (laughs) we will start slowly piecing it back together yeah and well i think the act of eating is a very intentional act of loving your body like yes it it really is it's really nourishing and we've gotten away from that so like as an eater once you start going like okay like sometimes someone's treatment plan leaving (laughs) their first appointment is like i need you to eat three meals a day and, and they'll come back and they're like, Carmen, you know how much time I have to spend eating? <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. It's gonna, it's a steep learning curve, but yeah. it's it's that we don't have that investment in ourselves. We're yeah. used to a drive-through, we're used to all these, and like, I love cooking. So like for me, as eating a dinner, like nourishment starts from like smelling the aromas in your kitchen or like chopping and like hearing the crunch of like the carrots and like mm-hmm. seeing all this like your your brain starts digestion so it's like oh i'm like smelling something like sensory wise i'm like we're gonna eat soon so let's like churn up those like your stomach acid and your digestive enzymes and all of that stuff and it's like preparing for food like our mm. body is highly intelligent and so but we've just gotten so far away like making a meal used to be a process and now it, we go from literally typing on the computer to shoving something in our mouth and there's yeah. no thought yeah. in, in between that. So coming back to the foundations, it's like teaching people how to re-engage with their bodies, look at these subtle cues that their body's trying to tell them all the time as something that's for them, like as their body's for them. Um, that they can trust themselves with food as we build these like tools through working together. So it's like, yeah. oh, so when you don't eat enough protein in the morning, you like tank at 10 a.m. and then you're like reaching for some candy before lunch. Oh, that that's actually because your blood sugar is imbalanced. That's not actually like a lack of willpower. So why don't we help? Oh wow! Yeah. You know why don't why don't we work on like bumping up that protein in the morning? Maybe decreasing the carbs a little bit, and then let's see how you react. And then they're like, 
oh my gosh, I, I'm actually not a, I actually don't have a sweet tooth. I just, my blood sugar was always imbalanced or. See, I love the connection that that inevitably brings to, uh, you know, it empowers you. It takes you out of the victim yes. mindset yes. because you have to help yourself in that situation. Like you're by physically helping yourself and then you're seeing direct results like in mm-hmm. your mood and everything. It's just such an empowering way. It's an interesting way to even change psychology, let alone yes. your human biology, which is just fascinating to me. It's so cool. Yeah, and it's cool because then people can go like, so I have I teach for a university as a professor, and I have my college students do this where we change their breakfast from something that's carb-centric, right, like a bagel or what have you. And then I'm like, okay, why don't we put some protein in there and do this, and we're going to change it, and I want you to tell me how you feel one, one time. Mm. They come back and they're like... Miss Greg, I felt totally different for the rest of the day. My brain was super functional. Like they have all this experience within their body. And so because of that one positive affirmation with one meal, mm-hmm. they f- forever will remember, oh my gosh. So if I'm preparing for a test, I need to make sure that I have protein so my brain can fun- like, and some healthy fats yeah. so my brain can function. And then yeah. what they, what they take away from that is like, I have I can be an active participant in my health and create a trajectory of change by what I'm putting on my plate. Yeah. That's a really great concept. Oh yeah. And so like even It affects so much more than just the yeah. eating. Yeah, so much yeah. more than just the eating. And then I always tell my students and my patients, I'm like, I don't care that you're the healthiest person on the planet. That is not the end goal of this. This my my goal is that you're the healthiest person that you can be to facilitate what, whatever your gift is. Hmm. Like, because if you don't have health, whatever you feel like you're called to do, and this is taking it a little bit deep, you can't go do it. Yeah. You're also usually not a super happy person. It's true. Um, <laughs> it's sick true. people are usually grumpy. And so, you know, <laughs> so you're kind of looking at that. And I'm always being like, when people get well, and most they they go on and do these really fascinating life-changing things in their own little because they know it's within their own capacity but it it started right. in food and when it comes to yeah. someone's healing process how i view it versus allopathic it's like it starts with food you gain all this confidence right you gain some traction and then they're like okay so cool i changed what's on my plate actually changed my joint pain so like what else can i change to then change a different outcome within my health and then they like broaden it to their life and then yeah like we talked about a little bit before the podcast started like then it creates this goes inner to outer and then it they right. positively Im- this impact is very their community. real direct yes. connection yeah. for the ma- micro to the macro yep yep and so yeah. i just think like plate food and that's why i'm so passionate about education is like mm. i think that education changes the world and i think that if someone knows better if they like have the wherewithal like they will probably do better yeah and so but one of the biggest deficits i feel like in north idaho and eastern like kind of in this rural area is education is not a priority therefore people right. don't know to do better or like within healthcare say women's health I always say like my favorite motto in women's health is just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And so 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just because everybody's dealing with this like horrific cramping before your period does not mean that's how it's supposed to be. But if you don't know any better, if you don't know that that's not the norm, you're not going to seek answers, exactly. right? Yeah, 100%. And so, um, so within the realm of North Idaho, I'm just like, okay, we have to help like prioritize education, whether that be from a provider standpoint, so we know how to better support each other on like, hey, like this OBGYN is really, really great in this condition versus like, oh, Carmen is really, really great with prenatal. Like just knowing how to refer appropriately to then like the grassroots of like patients knowing like, oh, there there's a different way that we can approach, well, we'll just like period pain or there's a different way like maybe we need more education around breastfeeding or, or what have you, but there's just a big deficit there. Totally. And I think that that's one of the the biggest issues like in North Idaho and then in general is that mm-hmm. there's just not the education for women to get that as well as, especially in rural Idaho, like access, access to providers that know how to facilitate care. Yeah. So. Now I want yeah. to take it back to a point you had touched on earlier too, regarding um, how women, you were saying how women for so long it's it's commonplace at this point to find you know mm-hmm. this like I use the term advising when I was writing down the question I, I use the quotations around the word advising but it's more <laughs> like because it's more like you know being told like this is how it is this is what you need to do this yeah. is how you feel yeah. as opposed to just having that explained yeah so something that strikes me as understated is just that like it, it yeah. doesn't really you just mentioning it is interesting how it's not really like it is talked about of course especially mm-hmm. more so lately but it's just interesting how when I've mentioned it before, just in, depending on the conversation, you get a variety of reactions. Like, But you do get from some people in the room like, oh, that's not a thing. Nuh-uh. They're listened to just as much, you know, and you get that. You get this mm-hmm. weird pushback, which is just fascinating to me. But but that isn't the case. And it, it's for any variety of issues. You kind of mentioned a few of them. Pregnancy, menstrual health, motherhood, fitness, sex, for goodness sake. Like, yeah. It could be any number of things, any combination of those things. So I'm wondering what, what you touched on some of this, but what, what has that experience um, been like providing that comfortable space as both nutritionist and woman in the midst of that sort of pressure? You kind of mm-hmm. answered some of this already where yeah. people, you know, you have to explain like so much of their lives. Yeah. What's some more about that experience that you'd you'd care to share? So I love that question because number one, I'm super passionate about the patient provider relationship. Yeah. And like what that looks like. So I did some research early on in my PhD looking at that, and what was really cool with the results of that, kind uh, some of the l- review of literature I did on that was, regardless of what the provider said if the patient felt like they were heard and trusted their provider, they got better. And so what was really, really cool about that is, and one of my mentors told me this, is that um, she said, you know, sometimes Carmen, you're you're never gonna know all the answers. And number one, one of the best things you can do is say, I don't know, but I am more than willing to go find out because you'll gain such a rapport with the patients. They trust you because they know we can't, we can't know it all. Like we can't, no way. you know, and I, like I always tell people, I'm like, I'm an expert in a very, very, very tiny topic. Um, I mean, it's a big topic, but like a small sector of women's health. And, um, and so providing that safe space, I think is a really redemptive process for a lot of women because mm. 
they're they get that experience and so they know that's possible so like I said before it's I hold the container I allow them to tell me what their experience has been like in their body and life and what's led them to this moment that they pursued integrative healthcare. Usually people pursuing integrative healthcare is because the failure of allopathic healthcare. Hmm. It's not, I always tell people that people don't come to integrative healthcare like easily. They come because the system has failed them. It's not usually the first option. It's not usually yeah. the first option. <laughs> it's because the system has failed them. They're looking for other options. Yeah. They're frustrated with the system. They've been through a million doctors. Um, like at the Metabolic Institute where I work, it that's the we're like the end of the rope. Right. We're like the last. Yeah. The, In my the own last, experience, it it was that way. Yeah, like, the totally last frontier. Yeah. Like okay, like that. Now we're gonna do this because it is so patient centered in in the collaboration between like like I'm not gonna tell you everything to do like. We're, I'm going to tell you and facilitate a dialogue and then you're going to tell me what's doable. Mm. And so that's part of when I hold the space, it's like compassionately listening, like meeting them with empathy, but not getting so stuck in their story that you can't make appropriate recommendations. Like you're not going to have this like emotional, I mean, you're emotionally invested in them, but you're also like holding some of the container in the sense of letting them have their own experience while just being there and listening. Yeah. Um, and then part of that is like a lot of times we'll get to the end of their story and then I'll say, okay, so based off of what I've heard, this is what I think we should do. But I want you to tell me, so I'll kind of list out, we could do this and this is what I'm thinking kind of like healing wise and these are some options that we can start with and I always typically will ask, what resonates with you? Like what, what feels doable for you? What can I support you best with? Um, and say they, they choose, say they have like some gastrointestinal issues along within their women's health thing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run a stool test for you. Great. Um, and then I'm like, do you have any questions with that? Outside of that, this is what I think, what type of information we're going to obtain from that. Hmm. And like, does that feel like a good starting place? And so it's always putting it back on the patient, ongoing, I mean, as a provider, this is what my belief as a provider, not what everybody has to do, is like, does that work for you? Hmm. Does that sound like a good starting place? So that builds the patient-provider relationship because they trust me because I'm asking them. So I'm asking them to participate, but I'm also asking them is that okay with you or should we try something different? Mm -hmm. Like, um, okay, I think maybe we should be doing a gluten-free diet. Does that sound obtainable to you? And it's making them go back into their own body and be like, instead of being told like, you should do a gluten-free diet and this is what we should do. Right. They're having to, they're having a moment of empowerment to go, you know, I, I don't know about that. Or maybe they say, I don't know. And I'll explain to them, this is why I think this would be the best appropriate action for your specific body at this moment. And they have all the information and they get to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is putting them back into a place of empowerment where typically the exam room is a place where they're disempowered and also what I would call disembodied. Mm -hmm. And so um, my whole goal and like my dream always with a patient and it kind of gives me chills is like, is to a sense of embodiment. And so Hillary McBride, who's a 
PhD outside of Canada mm. or in Canada. And she talks about it's a concept called embodiment. And she describes it as how do you come back at home within yourself? And so I'm always trying to. I love that. At home within yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you feel at home within yourself? And as someone that works in fertility and prenatal, um, a lot of times, whether it be like they're not able to get pregnant, which is a very disembodied, like, like my body's against me, like this is not how I should be. Or like prenatal where like you're growing something like, like you're growing a baby. Yeah. So like you better <laughs> feel at home in yourself is a lot of women don't feel like, like this is the only place you get to forever live. And so how can I make you feel more comfortable on that by being heard, making you feel like an active participant in your health care, and then you going home and what you get to put on your plate is an active, a, a micro um, act of self-care that you get to do three times a day. And so it's kind of all coming together. But I think a lot of times it's not that I have all the right answers and that's not the point of my job. It, my part is to facilitate you getting reacquainted. I just have a lot of background knowledge that I can maybe explain why you're experiencing that in your body, mm-hmm. connecting the dots, and then you feeling like, yeah, I, I do know something about my own body. I might not have a PhD, mm-hmm. but, you know, I do know something about my body. I'm like, yes, you do. Yeah. You have a PhD in your body. And so you tell me what you think, and I'll help you explain that, and then we'll come up with what I think would be the best care. And I think that that's how we're going to heal people's experience with medicine is recreating that relationship and creating a whole systemic approach. Like I only see eight patients a day and every single patient gets me for a total hour. Like I spend an hour with every single patient. So oh, I, that's so different right there. Yeah. Yeah. So versus like what? 10 minutes or whatever. It yeah. Is yeah. Or, 10 minutes. Yeah. And so, I think that that just starts a, a total different precedence of, because I'll have them look at their watch and go, oh my gosh, do we need to go? And I'm yeah. like, oh no, you've got another 45 minutes. Keep going. You know, and you so, just saying that to me, I'm like, 45 minutes? What do I say in that long? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I have hour long conversations all the time. Yeah. But like, even, yeah. it just seems like a long time to talk yeah, about Yeah, so they'll like, they'll like speed up their story. And just like you did with me, <laughs> you're like, Wait, I want to come back to that, Carmen. I want to talk about that more. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll go back and I'll I'll be like, so when you said that, it, it seemed like there was a lot of like emotion that came with it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I feel like that situation, then it sounds like that's right after then is when you started having some fertility issues. So mm. why don't you tell me a little bit about that? And so it's building that rapport first and foremost and then getting to the quantitative data, which is where my brain naturally lives. And so the whole time is like, how can we marry? Okay, this is what their lab values look like. And then this is the symptomology. And then this is who they are as a person. And like, how did that all come together Mm -hmm. to create this environment within their body where it's not working well, it's imbalanced. And so how can we bring them back into balance and what kind of layers do we need to unravel?
Now that might be, that could be one of these things that I'm going to ask you about, yeah. I suppose. Like just the, that whole approach of like having longer time, but just straight up, I mean, what are, what are some of the biggest things, and you kind of touched on a little bit of this earlier, but what are some of the biggest needs you see specifically in Idaho in terms of women's health care? Like what are, what aren't we talking about or doing anything about here oh. societally? <laughs> Like like everything. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you like can... <laughs> everything. Um, well, well, I did touch upon this a, a little bit. I can only speak from my experience within my field. So I'm mainly, right. like I said, I work with fertility. I work with prenatal. I've done a ton of work within um, all of my emphasis in my master's and PhD have been within endocrinology. So I do a lot of hormones, hmm. um, and so I have seen a big deficit in that type of prenatal care. Yeah. So, um, again, kind of bringing it back broad spectrum to education. So I've done a lot of work with early head start. Oh, cool. Um, and so I taught different like breastfeeding classes and prenatal classes and postpartum and different things. And it was so interesting to see like working alongside social workers, coming in, teaching courses, doing stuff with, with their clients. And seeing these moms that are, say, battling with, like, breast milk supply or, uh, like, postpartum issues, mm-hmm. very, very simple answers. Like, I, I literally would be like, well, how much water are you drinking? And they're, like, not drinking any water. And I'm like, okay, so I need you to drink 100 ounces of water a day. Literally, like, it would be, like, something that simple. Mm-hmm. And the social worker would call me and be like, hey, Carmen, you know those moms you worked with last week and you told them to drink more water and eat more food? Um, they're not having any breast like supply issues anymore. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it, it's not like magic. It's just access and education. Yeah. And, and so access and education. And so I think that those are the biggest deficits to like, to women's health in North Idaho, because a lot of women, you know, we have, I live in Coeur d'Alene, so it's like, oh, it feels like this very like higher socioeconomical status, like area, it, you know, it feels like, oh, of course everybody would have access. Well, no, we deal with a lot of food insecurity. We deal with a lot of healthcare deficits. We deal with, you know, and then we push it up more north, like Sandpoint Bonners, Yeah. huge deficits. I really appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah. Specifically pointing that out. Yeah. yeah. And so. Because you, you do when you live, and, and myself included, I live in Post Falls and, right. and uh, you know, it's a, a clean suburban neighborhood and it's mm-hmm. very easy sometimes to just go oh yeah you know i have access to all this nice conveniences of course yeah. everybody everybody does right <laughs> well yeah and so i think we get caught in this little world and and you know um at my clinic that i work at on the south hill it's a cash pay clinic so we're working you know with a pretty high socioeconomical status um which you know so then they're used to more of like, oh, of course I can do this therapeutic approach to nutrition or, you know, all these different things. And I think one of the biggest challenges of my career, one of my mentors, and uh, she's now the director of my PhD program, always told me, like, how can you take these concepts of integrative nutrition and like, what does that look like for someone who's low income? Like, how can we take these concepts and these principles of like ultimately integrative medicine is looking at how do I actually solve the problem instead of like, like how do I find a solution instead of bandaid it 
with all these other things? And like, how do we take those concepts and be like, okay, so cool, you have type two diabetes. How do on food stamps, how do I make some of these concepts doable for you? Mm. You know, and so it's kind of playing off of like, okay, we have Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So them just eating, like it, like maybe they also have food insecurity. So, so how can we take these concepts and work with them? Because I have a big heart for the translation of that. I've yeah. had the immense privilege within my life to live a super privileged life, grow up like middle to upper class, um, socioeconomical status. So. I had the opportunity and the privilege to go on to get higher levels of education. And now I think one of the things that people with doctorate level educations or education in general is we need to leverage that privilege for people that do not have it Mm -hmm. and bring it back and say like, okay, yes, we have this knowledge. Like how can I use some of my spare time to help some of these people that would never have access to my care? Like, what does that look like? And so a lot of that for me to make it my, like, time worth it is a lot of it is teaching classes. A lot of it's teaching classes. COVID changed that a lot. For sure. Yeah. You know, because we can't gather together. But I think um, creating that accessibility and making it non, um, like a non-hierarchy kind of platform where it's like, oh, we only teach at Pilgrims or we only teach, it's like, no, I was teaching, like I've taught on the reservation, like I've taught, you know, you go to the places where the people are. Yeah. Because they're, they're maybe not going to even, you know, enter certain spaces where you are teaching. Yeah. Or maybe it's scary because that's a different culture than they're used to. And so um, I think meeting them in the middle and that's where a lot of like public health intersects with women's health is how can we take some of these social determinants of health, remove some of the barriers to create the most likelihood for success for these women to have a different future than what they've been given. And, you know, like I said, again, it starts with food because that's the thing that they can control. They might not be able to go to an OBGYN um, and get like a full blood workup, but I can change out the oils in their kitchen or that are less inflammatory, or I can teach them how to create a meal without you know, tons of sugar, or maybe let's find some different replacements or, mm-hmm. you know, how to sprout their own sprouts, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, at home or like... Oh my like, gosh, when I started doing that, it was like mind blowing. And then I started doing other stuff. And it was like, oh <laughs> Right? Gosh. So it just, like, it's like this, it's like the snowball effect. And so I think when we can meet people where they're at and start using some of these concepts of integrative and functional medicine and applying them to like how can we take that concept and and not use all these fancy like nutraceuticals IV therapy all these different cool things that which are amazing and what does that look like for the the average person Hmm. and making like small very gentle steps towards a healthier more sustainable life that is so cool so I, i cannot love that enough because it is it's starting at the absolute basics food you know literally just love literally what are you eating, eating you know <laughs> that's my favorite question is like what are you eating and people are like um yeah i don't know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's that's so amusing to me because like i used to do the same thing i used to do the same thing what did you eat today uh mm, I'll let, mm, you know it's like that um 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of that SpongeBob quote where he's like, oh, some chicken, a pizza. And that's all he could think of. No, no, no. I meant this this morning. A chicken, a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's most people. That's why in nutrition-based research, yeah. dietary recalls are a very unreliable source of data because right. if you were to ask people, they always, oh, they're overly confident in their health promoting decisions and and tend to be less likely to report their you know like oh i had three handfuls of skittles you know or something like that <laughs> um and so it's it's yeah um that's what i had for lunch today <laughs> right. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that have told me similar things and, yeah and my reaction always is like oh wow like there are some folks that eat like that yeah you know wow <laughs> well, and I and you know. I think you know that's an interesting point because you also are thinking like, you know, like part of me when I'm working with patients, is someone could tell me they ate Skittles for lunch, and it has to be like a, a non-ethical moral thing for me, right? So I just like mm. look at it and I kind of go like, okay, like they ate Skittles for lunch, and and they'll usually <laughs> preference it and go like, I was bad. I ate Skittles for lunch. Oh, yeah. And then I'm also like, well, your your morality is not attached to your food choices. There, There's something that could have been a little bit more nutrient-dense than maybe some Skittles. But, like, we'll talk oh, more about that later. But that's typically... I love that so much. Though. But right there, you're separating... Right. Yeah, those two are often carried together. That's interesting. That could be yeah. a whole other conversation we could have one day. I would well, love to do that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that goes into body image and all the sort of... Things. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, so, there's a lot to talk about there. But it, yes. And hence the whole therapeutic nature of, 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 of how you get together with people and of nutrition yeah. in general. Yeah. And I think when you see, that's the difference when you see nutrition based providers that I would like to think all of my colleagues love their patients and mm. come from a therapeutic standpoint. But you can tell the difference when nutrition, at least in my undergraduate, I was taught more of like, oh, well, you tell you are the expert in nutrition and you have all the knowledge and you tell them what to do. And I was just like, but like, I don't like in my mind, it was like, and like, <laughs> you know, I'm finishing a PhD in this and I'm like, but I, I don't like, I don't yeah. know all of this. And, and one of the cool things I think about education and the higher you go in education is I have such a respect for the limitations of our knowledge just as humans. And so I, it's okay. It does not hurt my ego one bit when I say, I don't know. I will try and find out. Yeah. Well, so much of life is experiential, right? Right. I mean, and you so... You have to be able to actually exhibit, like, understand your body enough to understand what's, right. what's telling you. But you, if you're not having the experience, then you can only know so much. Right. You can have a lot of unpaper knowledge to help, but unless you're experiencing it. And that's then, why I admire your approach because yeah. it's it's you tell me. <laughs> right. And like how did you experience your body? But yeah, I think a lot of times people are like, Well, I gave them the right diet. Like I don't I don't know why they're not doing it and that's why the patient's not getting better. In my view, if if a patient comes back and they didn't do their treatment plan, I'm like, Okay, so they're like, I didn't do it, Carmen or whatever or this yeah. and I'm like, Okay, so that's okay, first and foremost how can we make this work for you? Or what do you think is a doable hmm. like step then? If that didn't work for you, like how can we better kind of renegotiate it? But that's also part of, I've taken some um, courses in my PhD on coaching, like how to provide, how to create a better provider patient relationship by 
kind of an aspect of coaching. Yeah. And that's, I think, also something that makes a really effective provider is like the coaching aspect of like, okay, so so what's your first step then? If this is what I'm, if this is what I'm asking you to do, like part of your treatment plan, like what's your first step? You know, and having yeah. drawing them out in that and looking at it less of like, oh well, they didn't do my treatment plan, like that's their fault, <laughs> and um, I I have all the answers. Yeah. When I the more I've grown in my career, I mean that never resonated with me because I was like, ugh, that just sounds very sterile to me. Um, is like, how can we make this better and and match you better? Mm-hmm. Like, how can we make this more collaborative and you know, I think that that also plays into, I do qualitative research as a, as a researcher. And to me, it's a unique aspect because usually nutrition-based research is quantitative. So more numerical, like these are the biometrics, this is that. And that never ever resonated with me because I always felt like, but I want to hear the story behind the metrics. Like I want to hear, like, what does that look like? And so I feel like qualitatively, you get to experience it all with the numbers, with the person, with their experience, and then honor that. And then it's like, okay, cool. Now we can create a treatment plan that matches who you are instead of, you know, this is the research, this is your condition. None of that is ever linear. And then no. you try and take that linear nature towards a person and they're like, eh. <laughs> and yeah. and healing looks like a scribbly line it doesn't look like i just started well almost nothing in nature is linear no and that's why (laughs) yeah and that's why i think you know as we're looking at like sustainability within the human body and then within food and then outside of that is like there's a synergy together so i think the the interesting trajectory that allopathic medicine made is not one of synergy and now we're trying to get back to it so yeah we used to treat totally. the whole body we compartmentalized it now we're kind of coming back and it's really cool because now i feel like we're also not just going like every single organ system is connected which nutrition like i mean i'm a little bit biased but like shines in that right right but now we're seeing more of like this whole mind-body connection and, and how, what does that look like and how do we... I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps Score. Um, oh, it's on my list so, uh, with a lot of other ones. It's about, a heavy, yeah. heavy read. So it's not a beach read. I always tell people, I'm like, not a beach read. Oh, yeah. Um, but well, I've got another one about racialized trauma called My Grandmother's Hands that I really want to read. And that's, that's on my list of like heavy reads that I... Need to plan those right. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might take you to like a... Oh Maybe you need to have a fiction one I'm reading on the side. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it brings it all. And that's why I think it's really important that we honor someone's story within their body because they didn't just experience... Like, they experienced their their life in their, their head and their heart and then their body processed that and one of the aspects of the body keeps score is like trauma gets stored in the cells. Mm -hmm. And so my experience with patients is I do need to know that aspect because I'm doing you a disservice by not knowing that about you. And I also like one of my favorite things to do as a provider is like, like it's an honor to hear their story. Like that's a big part. I don't take that lightly that if someone's willing to share that with me, if they're willing to sit there and cry and tell me that they've they've dealt with infertility for 10 years, like 
probably I'm gonna say that there's probably people that they can count on one hand that knows that mm-hmm. and like one of them is me and I'm not gonna forget that and I'm gonna work really hard to make sure that you know that that wasn't like all for loss yeah that you shared that with me and because a lot of times I'll thank them and I'm like thank you so much thanks for sharing that with me that was a big step and but and- you're as much <laughs> you're as much therapist almost Right. I don't want to see. I don't want to speak too like profoundly, you know, because for all the therapists out there who have done, I a lot stay of work, with. I stay with like, myself. I, wanna, I stay yeah. myself. <laughs> I don't want to say she's she's staying in her lane. She's staying in her so lane. Yeah, I'm but, staying like, in my lane. Yeah. But but I mean, you have. But there's to, a lot of therapeutic work there. I mean, there's a lot of therapeutic. There's a lot work. of trauma being uncovered, and mm-hmm. and what you were saying about um, how this is uncovering a lot of this mind body connection. I mean, what it's doing, they're remembering this mind body connection, mm-hmm. which is uncovering trauma. I mean, that's what that's yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this book right now called Existential Kink, which is quite a title, and it's but it's yeah. it's it's essentially about a very playful, you know, sexy approach, if you will, to to uncovering a lot of those mm. the unconscious, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, it uses a lot of Jungian type stuff, talking about you know that phrase it repeats quite a bu- uh, a lot about if you cannot make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate. Mm which is huge. Mm -hmm. And so we have to bring that stuff out. There's another quote by uh, this Irish philosopher and Peter Rollins that I like a lot. He said, if you cannot speak your brokenness, your brokenness will speak for you. And that speaks physically very much. Yes. And I just um, am just amazed at the therapeutic nature that inevitably comes out in in nutrition. In nutrition, which is, I think it's like, if you let it, right? If you let it, yeah, it has to be consensual. It has to be, well, I mean, if you let it in the sense (laughs) like... Like for yourself. For myself, yeah. Like, and I, um, one of my mentors, she always told me like, you can only take a patient to the depth of healing that you've done yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it does feel really personal to me because I feel like, I I mean, we're ever evolving, right? As humans, within our health, within our nutrition, everything. Um, but I will never ask a patient to go further than I've gone. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I wanted to, I could make my work really sterile, right? Like I could be like, Jet, you came in and I'm like, here's your macros. This is what I think. Your cholesterol's here. Cut out, <laughs> cut out, blah, blah, blah. Da, da, da. Yeah. All these things. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, yeah, seriously, you know. <laughs> but I, to problem. me, it's, it's, uh, that's what makes it worth it to me is that I think that because I got into, like, food is just a way that I get to facilitate my love for people. And so, and it just happened to be something that was, that everybody can resonate with and I loved mm-hmm. and I got to experience. And I also grew up in the country on a farm and, and so I had a deep love for the earth and food and where it comes from and the people that grow it. And, and you know, so it gets to be therapeutic because, like, I let it be therapeutic. I could just keep people right there. But I always felt like it's doing a disservice to my patients if I don't go into that with them. Mm-hmm. It would be much easier I would probably have a uh, like I spend a lot of time in the mountains to work out what I hear in an exam room. Mm-hmm. But I take that on as that's just a responsibility that that I get to have that I get to hold becoming a doctor. Yeah. And so would it be easier to just be a, a mediocre nutritionist and just be like here's this blah 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 totally. I'd probably sleep better at night. 
but um but it's an honor it's a privilege and i think it's it's part of i'm a big proponent if i don't see it like i create it mm -hmm. and so i saw a gap in women's health care and nutrition that i felt so compelled within fertility and prenatal that I felt like if I don't do this work, I can't imagine, I don't know if someone else will do this work in the world. And so because my love of people, that's, I mean, no one goes to 13 years of school if they don't love people. That's true. Like I, I was like, you see a lot of people in school, even if you're not physically <laughs> there, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, part of that is, you know, you just, you, you get to do the therapeutic work. You get to be part of that because mm -hmm. I, I think it's an important part of the process. And it's it's important that the patient gets to experience a provider that's willing to go there. Critical. Critical. Yeah. yeah. I would say. Yep. So let's wrap this up with a just for fun, playful exit to this. And, and after having <clears throat> discussed a lot of this, I'm seeing some connections to this that I didn't really see before, which is kind of fun. But... You know, I, we, before the podcast started, we, we were kind of talking about um, braiding sweet grass and, and mm -hmm. that book, and and uh, you know, I've been mentioning it a lot this season because the the concept of uh, what Kimmerer had mentioned in there of, you know, she tells stories of like native elders and native just native peoples, just like you know, interacting with their land and the surroundings mm -hmm. and the life on the land so much differently than we do now. Yeah. In, in civilized, you know, colonialized society, you could say. And so I just find it really interesting, this whole reverence, this reciprocity that is practiced through that, that type of um, behavior. And I'm wondering what, I, I wonder a lot, like what that would look like in today's world, like if we adopted this. And so I've been asking this question to different people, mm -hmm. depending on the field, because like what you do, you, you connect nutrition to the human being really in a way mm -hmm. that I don't typically see. And so I find that connection happening. You saw some, you saw that need there. So I'm kind of thinking in that concept of, you know, what, what do you think it would look like to use these integrative tools that you've been just, that we've been discussing to respect and revere. And eventually I said like, I said in this question originally, like the local flora and fauna, like what do you think mm -hmm. it would look like to revere those things as part of the community? Still part of the question, but now I'm wondering, now I'm seeing this connection between, you know, that, that micro and that macro. So anyway, what do you think would change? I mean, if we had that same sort of reverence. Mm. Well, I think like in, I mean, I, I think we'd have a, a totally different experience with, with health, right? Like we would have a totally different experience oh, yeah. if we like, if every provider believed that there was this synergy between nature, the human body, the patient as a person, and then them as a provider, like, like it gives me chills just thinking like, what would that look like for people to go to the doctor mm -hmm. um, instead of their experience? Like right now, it's like very commonplace where people literally call it like white coat syndrome because they're like scared and intimidated by their doctor instead of right. having oh, this yeah. synergy of like, like you belong here, I belong here, your body belongs here, like your body is good. How can we help bring you back to homeostasis? What does this look like bringing you back into balance? Like that whole mentality. 
I think would change the world. Like, I mean, I think we could totally redirect healthcare if people thought of us like your body as a whole and also as part of a community and then like as part of a world, like who you are matters, your health matters. Hmm. We're here because your health matters. And how can we bring those pieces in your health that are in balance back into balance so that you can then go on and create a more healthier community. Mm -hmm. And so like what that looks like pragmatically, like for me, a lot of my work now is teaching providers. I still see patients like 40 hours a week for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But um, my research right now, it's interesting that you asked that question because like probably, oh, when I first started graduate school, like seven years ago, it was patient centered, which at a hundred percent, I'm still interested in the patient. But what I, what I came to the conclusion of is how to create the most impact synergistically and sustainably in my career as a person is like going towards the change agents. So like going towards the providers. And so my research right now is actually working with midwives to see what their, what type of nutrition education they're facilitating to moms during their pregnancy, mm-hmm. what sort of gaps they're not covering, and how can we create a better curriculum to then better support midwives in facilitating nutrition education as best as they can to their moms. So the like I'm impacting the providers who are then going to touch thousands of patients that are then going to create a totally different ecosystem essentially for the for, for their pregnancy, which I think is really cool because <laughs> if we're thinking about ecosystem, when a mom is pregnant, there's a baby. And then if it's a girl, that baby has all the eggs that she's going to have as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a trilogy, like a, a, a oh, three, how true. three generations right. that we're impacting. Present. Present. <laughs> present. <laughs> They're all present. The girls are here. Yep. Um, the girls are here. Ladies night. Ladies night. What's up? Everybody's here. That's For so 40 funny. weeks. Um, so, so I think that what that looks like with the, the whole synergy of it is like, how do we create like synergy within the mom, within the provider, all of that. And then everybody using the best that they can and the tools like as providers of being really, really good at what they do. And then also knowing who else is really, really good at what they do and us all working integratively together for the betterment of our community Mm -hmm. and it not being ego centered because that's an issue with doctors, right? We like Mm -hmm. to know that we like to know, like, yeah, you know, and, um, There's an ego situation. The ego situation happening there. But I think if we, like, egos aside, like, we're better for our patients when we come at it from a humbleness of, like, be really good, master your craft, but also know your own limitations, refer accordingly, and then, like, let's all help people get better. Well, yeah, and the, the very approach that you take, I mentioned reciprocity, has a whole reciprocity thing going on like you realizing like you said your own limitations in that situation Mm -hmm. means that you're not situating yourself in that position of like i have all the answers i'm why they're here like right 
sure, they're there for your expertise, but you need them to give uh-huh. you quite a bit in order for you, mm-hmm. you to be able to give them back what they're right. looking for. And right. So there is a give and a give. Well, and it's <laughs> and, and it's a perfect, it really is like a cohabitation. That's cohabitation. Cohabitation. Yeah, between both parties. Because you, I can only fix what I know. Mm-hmm. I can only support the facilitation of what I know. Yeah. And if they're not willing to share, it's maybe not even because they're not willing to share. Maybe it's because I didn't cultivate a space that they felt comfortable sharing. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of goes back to that foundational aspect of like, did you create a safe space for the person to share and be vulnerable with you to then get the information that you need as a provider to best facilitate what you think is appropriate? Yeah. So. Wow. So thanks yeah. for being here. I mean, it's such a fun conversation. Yeah. I mean, where, okay. So where can people find you if okay. they want to come see you? Okay, so that's a good question. Or if they're just curious of where to find you, you a little bit. <laughs> um, so I work at the Metabolic Institute on the South Hill in Spokane, and I see all sorts of patients there. Um, we are an integrative medical practice. Super, super cool. I work for a really amazing nurse practitioner, Debbie Judd. We have another nurse practitioner, Jana Pedersen, there. They're amazing. Um, like, I have the privilege to work with, I think, some of the best providers ever. Um, so that's great. And then I also am a professor at Great Northern University. So I... Great Northern, that's where Great okay. Northern University, yeah. And I teach all the health courses. So I'm teaching public health this semester. Um, I guess I'm on Instagram, Carmen Carmen Elizabeth Gregg on Instagram, <laughs> I guess. But none of it's typically health related. You'll just see a lot of nature pictures and me out in the mountains. Yeah, a lot and of hiking. Yeah. A lot of hiking, but... That's where you can find me. I teach a lot of classes locally when they start meeting more locally. Um, But other than that, um, and I always have people reach out to me, like if people have a question or, you know, feel free to reach out at the Metabolic Institute. I answer a lot of questions and do that. So I'm always more than willing to help support where I can. Hey everyone, that's going to be it for today. I just want to say thank you again for tuning in. I know I say that all the time, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. These episodes are a labor of love and it really means a lot to myself and the people that are featured on this show that you spend your time listening to what we have to say and what we have to discuss. It really means a lot to us in general. So thank you, thank you, thank you again. If you're a fan of the show, please do show your love on there by reviewing it, liking it, subscribing to it. Uh, Anything that you can do to get the message out there really helps uh, rise the show on the rankings on the platform that you're listening to it on. And it helps more listeners uh, come to the show and get these messages out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you again. Uh, We appreciate your help with with the growth of the show. And I just want to say thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the day or evening, whatever time of the day it is. We will see you next time on the Sustainable Culture Podcast. Bye-bye.